Today's story comes from John chapter 11. I'm going to read it kind of throughout and, and then sort of tell the story as we go through the passage. This is one of my favorite passages, one of my life passages. And so excited just to talk about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Let's just jump in, okay? In John 11, I'm going to read parts of it. I'm going to skip some verses here or there. Um, because it's all it's 44 verses the whole story so I'm going to give you some pieces of it here we go now a certain man was ill Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill so the sisters sent to him saying Lord he whom you love is ill so let's get the players right first. We got Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We've got a family, two sisters, and a brother. They live in a village of Bethany, a couple miles from Jerusalem. And uh, they seem to be a family of means because when the disciples come to Jerusalem, they stay with them. And the disciples, when, when Jesus travels, a lot of times he's traveling, well, not just with 12 disciples, but then with some other people too. So this is a family that seems to be able to host 40 or 50 people. For the, uh, for the festival. So they seem to be a family with some means, but they're part of Jesus' close and loved members of Jesus' circle. And so they send him a message and say, hey, hey, the one you love, Lazarus, has died. But, verse 4, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples say, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Notice they didn't actually ask him to come. They just sent word he was sick. They assume because Jesus loves him, that he will come. But Jesus tells the disciple that this illness does not lead to death, which is an interesting thing to say about something that kills somebody, right? That he, Jesus is actually wrong. He does die about this. But Jesus knows that that won't be the end of the story. Now, and what, what happens next is interesting because uh, G, John in the gospel reassures us. He says, now Jesus loved Mary and he loved Martha, and he loved Lazarus, so he stayed where he was for two days. And if you read that, you're like, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, if, if he loved them, why didn't he hurry up? Why didn't he go? Mary and Martha are both going to ask that same question, and clearly John is setting up that question in the way he words this, because this is not the question that we all ask of God sometimes. Hey, why didn't you come? Why didn't you show up? Now, one of the interesting things about this character, Lazarus, if you, if you look in the Bible, normally in a patriarchal society, the brother would have been listed first. 
And most of the time, the men are listed first. Lazarus is always listed last behind his two sisters. And Mary speaks in the story. Martha speaks in the story. But in all of the Gospels, Lazarus never speaks. Now, why is this? Kind of interesting when uh, we, we can't know for sure. But a friend of mine pointed out to me, and, and I kind of wonder if this is true, if maybe Lazarus has special needs. I have a brother with Down syndrome. I wonder if the way everyone's weeping for Lazarus, the way he speaks, the way he doesn't speak, the way he's sort of uh, uh, listed after his sisters, maybe he has Down syndrome or he has some kind of, of disability. And, uh, and, but, but he's loved in the community. Okay, but, but then why, again, if Jesus loves him, does he wait? And the timing isn't the only problem. You need to realize that the Jerusalem Authority, this area of Judea, they're out to kill Jesus. They've tried to stone him. And so when Jesus says, okay, let's go to Bethany, what does uh, Thomas called the twins say? Okay, let's go die with Jesus. Like they assume they're going to die when they get there. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus has already been dead in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and so many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. That's important because in the Jewish, in, in what the rabbis had taught was they thought that after three days, your soul actually left your body. They thought your spirit sort of hovered there around your body. You could maybe be resuscitated, but only for three days. And so in Jewish thinking, you buried somebody on, uh, you tried to finish the burial on the fourth day because then you knew they were really dead. Okay? And so after four days, Jesus shows up uh, Martha hears that he's coming, and, and I would guess that Martha is the firstborn, if I read the story, because she is the go-getter. She's not going to wait for Jesus. She's going to go talk to him. She's going. Mary's going to stay there, and she's going to continue to mourn, but Martha is going. So she, she goes and, and, and says, you know, if you'd been here. And I love this. That both Mary and Martha are going to complain to Jesus that he wasn't there, and Jesus doesn't chastise either of them for questioning him when i was a kid i remember people used to say like don't question god that shows a lack of faith but in the bible all kinds of people question god and they never get in trouble for it now if you disobey god right like if you're jonah and you go the other way then you get in the belly of a fish that's what happens but if you just question god it actually Jesus has a lot of patience for questioning. And I think it's because when we actually, and I've, I've talked about this before in sermons, but I come up against it in the Bible all the time, that questioning God doesn't show a lack of faith. That's what I thought when I was younger. But actually, questioning God shows faith. 
Martha believes, knows. She has so much faith. She knows that if Jesus had been here, this wouldn't have happened. That's not a lack of faith, everybody. That's a ton of faith. She's sure her brother wouldn't have died if Jesus had showed up. What's the problem? She doesn't have the faith to believe Jesus can still heal. Okay, She has the faith to believe he could have, but now she's in a state. She's in a new land, and we've all been in this land with God. The land of too late. God, you're too late. It's over. You could have done something. You didn't. We get mad at God. Okay, I'm convinced that we always think God is late. I think God is late all the time. But actually, I think God is never late. He's just not on our clock. Right? God does his stuff on his way. She has the faith to believe you could have done something, but now she doesn't have the faith to believe you can still heal after the bad thing happened. That's a different level of faith, everybody. Faith to believe God could have, could have stopped something from happening, that's one kind of faith. There's another kind of faith to believe that, that bad stuff has happened and God can still bring healing and resurrection and life to it. That's a different kind of faith. She has great theology. She's like, yeah, yeah in, the, in the last day, Lazarus will be raised. Because who buries somebody and still believes they could still see him now? But Jesus, using one of these I am sayings that, that, that we've been covering the Gospel of John, says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he's going to prove it. He's going to bring resurrection. He's going to bring life. So, but not yet. We've got to get to Mary first. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. Always love that line because I didn't hear Jesus call her. Right? Martha's like, hey, did Jesus is calling for you. Well, did he or did he not? I don't know. I never quite know with Martha. Anyway, and when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw her, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. These are people who of, of deep faith, who had seen people healed. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind? Could he not also have kept this man from dying? So Mary, Martha goes and gets Mary. Mary comes with the basic same complaint. All, uh, and Jesus doesn't chastise her for the complaint either. But notice, I, I always think this is funny in this story. Jesus answers Martha's complaint. He just cries with Mary. I think Jesus knows that sometimes you got to answer somebody, and sometimes you just got to sit and cry with them. And Jesus knows the difference. And sometimes we don't. Okay. Sometimes, husbands, this is great for you with your wives. Sometimes your wife wants you to help solve a problem, and sometimes you just need to shut up and listen. Okay. And and Jesus, Jesus seems to know that because with Martha, he gets into it with her. With Mary, he just weeps. In fact, he's, he's deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then in this beautiful short verse in the Bible, he wept. What does it mean that Jesus cried? That he understands grief and loss and pain so much because he's actually felt it. And it's amazing. He knows he's going to, he's already said, this doesn't lead to death. He knows he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. 
And he knows for sure that in the last day, all will be raised from the dead. And yet still, the grief hurts. And it hurts Jesus. And I take great comfort in knowing that when I want to cry, and when I'm going through pain, I don't worship a God who doesn't know what that is like, but actually has experienced that before. Now the people kind of question it, right? If Jesus could save all these other people, blind people have been jumping around. Uh, uh, lame people have jumped around. Blind people can see. How come he didn't help his friend if he loved them, right? Again, John is clearly setting up this question of why didn't Jesus come sooner? Then, verse 38, Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Martha, again, always on top of things, right? She's the one going to answer. She's the one going to lead. Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said, said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, burial practices in those days were different than they are today. What you would do, especially in Jerusalem, Jerusalem's all stone. You can't dig a grave. So there's not there's not dug like you can't dig and bury somebody. So what they would do is they would have some kind of cave, or they they can cut into the stone. So they would cut a cave, and what they would do is they would take the body and they would lay the body into this tomb so that it could decompose. And sometimes they would wrap the whole body. Um, and in, in like every picture of this story, even including the front of the bulletin, the whole body is wrapped like a mummy, right? That was Egyptian burial, not Jewish. John's pretty clear. Where does he have burial cloths? On his hands, on his feet, and on his face, on his head. And so what you would do is you would wrap certain areas. You would, you would, you would have, you'd put a lot of oils so that his smell wouldn't be too, too bad. And you would leave the body in the grave for about a year. And then you would come back up once the body was pretty much decomposed. And you would sort of gather the bones up and put it into a small box called an ossuary. And we, they have found a lot of these all over Jerusalem. Okay, so, so that's what you would do. You would set the body, you'd leave it. But what you would do is put a stone over that because animals would be attracted to the decomposing body. So you had to keep the animals out. And so in a, most of these tombs, you'll find beds where the body would be laid. And then there's little niches in the wall or places under the bench or that kind of thing where these smaller boxes of bones would go. In the Old Testament, um, it even uses the language of being buried with the bones of my father because that's what they would do. They would bury, bury the bones. And so this has already happened for Lazarus, everybody. They, they did some of the wrapping. They wrapped his hands, his feet, his face because those would decompose first. And the one thing you would never do is open the tomb for the first like two months. Okay? That was the worst time to open the tomb. Okay, You wanted to go back a year later. You wanted to leave it. 
Why? Because of the smell. And so when Jesus says, okay, take away the stone, Martha has a good point, okay? You do not want to open that right now. You do not, like, not only is Lazarus dead, but he's decomposing. Despite the warnings of Martha, Jesus tells those to standing nearby to roll away the stone. They must have thought maybe he wanted to, to just see Lazarus one last time. You know, one more goodbye that he didn't get to have because he was delayed, he was late in coming. But he opens, they open the tomb. And then Jesus does an amazing, amazing sign. He's multiplied bread, he's walked on water, he's healed the blind. But Lazarus is dead to the point that he smells everybody. And Jesus calls him out. I love that he calls him by name. Hey, Lazarus, come on out. Even the dead have to listen to Jesus. And Lazarus comes stumbling out. He can't really see, can't really feel. He's got all this stuff. You know, you can imagine from Lazarus' perspective what this was like. Like, where am I? What is going on? But he comes out. And Jesus says, get those grave cloths off of him. He doesn't need those anymore. Unbind him and let him go. If you keep reading, this miracle sends waves throughout Israel as a lot of people witnessed the event because they were there for the morning. And the power of the event is not easily explained. Remember in those days, like you could try to explain away the blind guy. We did this a couple weeks ago. You could say, oh, well, he wasn't really, that's not the same guy. It just looks like him, right? But here's a guy that was very dead, everybody. And now he's walking around. And, and so Jesus then sort of has to flee. His renown is becoming too much to handle. He flees into the wilderness until about a week later where he'll come back into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. This is right at the end of his earthly ministry. This is, the, this is really one of his the last signs, the last miracle before he comes in to Holy Week. And so it's a critical hinge in the Gospel of John because now we're moving. Now we've had his life, we've had signs, we're going to have a few more I am sayings, but everything else is now going to head into Holy Week. And so this, this resurrection is the hinge before Jesus has his own death and resurrection. Okay, He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He proves it with Lazarus, but, but he's going to prove it in a different way in his own resurrection. And underneath of this amazing story is a very human story. Because we have all asked this question, right? God, where were you? You're too late. How come you weren't here? You maybe could have done something, but now it's over. We all have had questions about God's power, God's care, and God's timing. Lord, if you really loved me, you would have answered. We have all in our grief and in our pain questioned God's timing and even God's love. And those are important questions. Remember, Jesus doesn't chastise Mary or Martha for those questions. And it's not a lack of faith to have those questions. And in fact, if you think that God is so little that you can't ask those questions, then you're the one with the lack of faith. I think God's big enough to handle your questions. Bring it on. As long as you understand that God doesn't normally answer those questions. Okay? God doesn't really answer Mary. He barely answers Martha. He never promises that we get to understand why things happen. His only answer is himself, to say, I am the resurrection and the life. You've got you to decide whether you trust that or not, everybody. 
You got to decide whether that's life or whether that's not life. So here's the trick when we go through grief and loss. We, we need to have the faith to question God and be honest with God, but also have the faith to understand that God doesn't owe us any answers. If he is the resurrection and the life, he doesn't owe me anything. And that, that dual faith is hard. And so we get this very human story of this family in grief. In fact, I've reflected on this in several funerals over the years because it's such a powerful story of how do we handle grief? How do we handle our questions? But, but one last thing to take away from the story. I love in this story, something real subtle you may not have picked up on, but the way Jesus asks people to participate in the miracle. Okay, last week, I, I talked about Jesus as a good shepherd, and I made a point at the end that we as Christians and as a church are kind of like sheepdogs, okay, that we herd people back to the good shepherd. But, but there's another metaphor for, I think, what we do as a church and as Christians here, and that is, what do the people do for the healing of Lazarus? They don't, they don't bring Lazarus back to life. The crowd doesn't do anything to bring Lazarus back to life. They're not the resurrection of life Jesus is. But what do they have to do? They have to roll away the stone, and they have to remove the grave cloths. Roll away the stone and relieve the grave cloths. And I think there's a great metaphor there. I don't know that John intended it, but in the way I think about church, I think about that. I think there are stones blocking people from coming to life in Christ. I don't think I can save anybody. I don't think we as a church can save everybody. But we can start removing some stones. Like if there's something in the way of somebody following Jesus, we can start to remove those things. We can start to remove the barriers of people coming to meet Jesus in our midst. And, and when, we, when we meet people, and isn't this true of us too, that Jesus saves us and he brings us to life, but aren't there still grave cloths? Like aren't there still those parts of us that are still kind of dead? It still kind of smile, everybody, right? That we still haven't dealt with, that Jesus hasn't fully resurrected or brought life to, and we have to do the work of removing the grave cloths, letting Jesus into those. Unbind him and let him go, Jesus says, and I think that's part of what we do as a church, too. You come here, you find Jesus, we don't save you. We'll help clean you up a little bit, right? We'll help heal you a little bit. We'll help get the grave cloths off of you. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the grave robber. So may we remove stones for those who need to hear his command to rise. And may we remove the signs of our dead past in ourselves and others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.